The Naked Brand with your host, Mike Leon. Welcome to The Naked Brand. So today we're going to be talking about the AI-powered human brand. And I'm really excited for our next guest because uh, we go, what, like 13, 14 years back now, Sheldon? Something like that? Something like that. <laughs> so Sheldon and I used to work together. And uh, we've, uh, we've worked on from different angles on several projects that kind of touched on this very topic. And I'm, I'm so excited to be able to talk to, uh, to him about it. Um, so Sheldon, I'll let you introduce yourself and a little bit about what you do. Absolutely. And Mike, it's uh, good connecting with you after more than a decade. Uh, so uh, yeah, Sheldon Fernandez, I'm the CEO of a company called Darwin AI. We are a four-year-old artificial intelligence startup that is based out of Waterloo and organically connected to the University of Waterloo. Um, you know, we do many things, but probably the most important thing is we illuminate the black box of artificial intelligence, right? So one of the things you'll often hear is that these AI systems can do all these phenomenal things. They can give you all these fantastic predictions, but you have very little insight into how they reach those predictions. And so we have very special IP that was created by our academic team over many, many years. And we have cracked that problem. We, we've commercialized it into a product and are doing some really cool work. So that is uh, Darwin AI in a nutshell. Very, very cool. So Sheldon, I wanted to ask you off the top, a lot of my work is around really what, what I kind of think of as the human-centered brand. So looking at brands much the way that people look at their own personalities. Um, you know, brands like people have values, they have uh, an overarching personality archetype that kind of gives way to specific personality traits. How does the rise of AI in our day to day impact that? Do you think it's one of those things that complements the human brand? Well, does it have the potential to disrupt it? Where do you feel it sits now? Yeah, what I mean, that's a great question to start. Um, Probably in its initial iteration, I would say artificial intelligence can complement uh, a brand, right? So it can optimize it or it can take some of your, uh, you know, your attributes a bit further. You can tailor it in a way on a, on a per human basis, for example, to highlight certain elements of your brand that you think are going to resonate, resonate with that particular individual. Um, and so I'd say it's very complementary at the start. But as AI increases in sophistication and permeates, um, the question is, can it disrupt uh, mm -hmm. you know, the idea of the human-centered brand? And I would argue it probably can. Um, you know, one of the fascinating assertions I heard recently was, what uh, expectations will change as individuals interact more with AI than they do with human beings? Right. Uh, and most people spend more time looking at their phones than conversing with an individual now on a day-to-day -day basis. And of course, embedded in that phone, all the apps that are using artificial intelligence. And we think that's going to result, or our, the initial assertion was that that would be a very soulless experience, right? When you're talking on an app and so forth. But as AI increases in sophistication and conversation and natural language understanding, one of the predictions I heard, I'm not completely sure whether I agree with it or not, is does AI in fact become more empathic than a human mm -hmm. being, right? It has infinite patience with you. It doesn't have its own agenda <laughs> the way a human being will. Right. And so do we in fact become, do our expectations of, of a brand change 
in the positive with the infusion of AI into these systems uh, in a way that we didn't think it would. And so I think that's an interesting development we're thinking about as it relates to, you know, human-centered brands. You know, I think that's fascinating because I think as consumers, we do expect our brands to be fallible to a certain degree. We know they're going to screw up and we know and we hope that when they do, they're going to be humble. But as you know, to your point, like as these AI powered interactions increase in complexity, increase in, in, in the way they show up in a brand experience, does that actually change that expectation of a brand from, you know, us being okay with the idea that brands could be fallible to actually expecting the brand to be near perfect now because these AI interactions can be close to that? Yeah. And, th and that, of course, is the $64,000 question, right? <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, do, do our expectations of AI in some respects are higher now than they are for human beings, right? You will forgive a bank teller for giving you the wrong change, right? Um, it happens. We're all human. But if an ATM or something gives you the wrong amount or, you know, something mechanical doesn't perform the way you expect, you probably have higher expectations. And we expect that mm -hmm. when it comes to calculation and things that that machines are very oriented towards. But what about things like emotion and empathy and things that we thought were outside the domain of machines that are now being, you know, addressed with machines? How does that change our expectations? Wow. Uh, it's it's a fascinating question uh, and and one that is very intriguing. You know, I'd love to get your take on that because I, I I think about basic human interactions like ordering takeout, yeah. or you know, just anything where where you might encounter a situation where where you're getting a less than perfect response. If you replace that interaction with with something that's AI powered, would there be a school of thought that suggests that maybe you make that interaction imperfect in some way? Maybe you make them slip up or use slang or something that feels a little bit more natural. Or, or is it a case where maybe this is just the evolution of, of those types of experiences? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, probably initially to people like me and you who are used to some, how do you put this, human intangibility when you interact with, with, <laughs> a nice way of with somebody, <laughs> you, you embed that into the AI so it feels a little more natural and so forth. But like I think of my son, who's two and a half, who's going to grow up, I presume, in an AI-powered world where his expectations might just be very different because he doesn't long for this time where you actually had to go to somewhere in order to a, from a human being. Uh, so how will that evolve, right? Um, you know, it's like the very first cars, they tried to simulate, you know, the, the smell of horses and things like that uh, <laughs> to make it more um, acceptable to people who rode horses. But the generation after just wanted a regular car that didn't have, you know, the problems that a horse did. So I wonder how it'll evolve. Um, you know, it's it, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, you know, I I think it's so interesting, and you know, one of those ways that that I'm kind of watching with some curiosity how it plays out right now is even things like AI powered music selection. Like we did a we did a family like just a small road trip over the weekend, mm. and you know, just for the pure hell of it, my wife and I decided to roll the dice. We we subscribe to YouTube Music, mm. so. They had a they had a super mix option, which which essentially takes a collection of everything you've listened to. So we were kind of curious, like how well does YouTube music know me? And you know, it was funny because on the nose it was almost perfect. It had kind of a collection of everything we had listened to, but the way it presented it was was very linear. It was kind of genre by genre. It didn't feel intuitive. And I don't know if at this point I'm asking too much of the experience. 
but I kind of left feeling, you know what? Like, I don't think I'm ready for AI powered DJing just yet. Yeah. Maybe soon, yeah. but I don't know. Where do you see an experience like that going? It's going to get incrementally better. Um, you know, and like, we're, we're still learning um, how to tailor these algorithms on an individual level and so forth. Um, so I, I do think it's getting to a place where it'll give you that spontaneity and whimsical element that you look for in a human, you know, selection, right? Where 90% of the songs are things that you like, but every now and then based on your taste, it's like, oh, you might like this one and your wife might like that one. I think yeah. that's coming. Um, you know, the, 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 the a question, you know, related to that is, okay, so a, a, a machine can select songs for you, right? Can it generate a, a creative song from scratch? Um, right. That, that is, you know, the next level of artificial intelligence is true creativity. Um, and that, you know, never say never because machines are advancing exponentially every day. But that, that gives me pause um, if they can really do that. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I wonder, you know, as you say this too, I also wonder like at what point does AI meet neuromarketing in the sense that mm. the playlist could evolve based on very subtle cues that you give it to suggest how you're feeling about that playlist. Yeah. You know, the way you breathe or the sounds you make or the things you say to yeah. your to your spouse or whoever's in the car with yeah. you. Uh, and at what point will that feel creepy? <laughs> Absolutely, right? Um, you know, like if you're wearing a watch and it detects a change in your heartbeat, does it, does it change it? And like, yes, that is very creepy. Right. Um, and again, it's creepy to me and you because we're, we're not used to that kind of thing. But if there was a machine mm -hmm. that tailored every element of your life to how you were feeling, would that be good or bad? I think creeps me out. Right. And you know, there's something about, uh, you know, being alone that is necessary as a human being. Right um that you know ai and devices and so forth uh you know remove or can remove from the human experience um and mm -hmm. so that that all that together is just a really you know fascinating question yeah no it's 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 really interesting um i, I want to get your take on customer service okay because I know I'm going to generalize for a sec, but I feel like this is one area where a fair amount of people wouldn't mind AI powered solutions to kind of clean up that overall experience. What's your overall take on the potential of AI to either improve or, or completely revolutionize customer experience and customer service? Yeah, right. They, so what they say is that artificial intelligence is great at the majority of things, but where it fails is the exceptions, right? So I remember, you know, some work I did for one of the big Canadian banks, and they found that of all the requests, you know, that come in through telephone or the internet, 95% of them can be grouped into like five questions. I forgot my pen. Sure. I can't access my account, whatever it is. And for those, AI is going to be a game changer. And it already is, right? It reduces, you know, the amount of kind of rote, manual uh, repetitive type of work that puts human beings to sleep. And the argument is that it allows human beings to focus on the more creative questions. Hey, I, I, I need a new mortgage and I'm not sure whether to go with fixed or, you know, flex, you know, interest rates. Um, For sure. And so that is starting to be a game changer already is that it, 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 it can address the 90% commonality that we see in customer service that just drains human beings of their tolerance uh, and patience because it's the same question over and over. 
and it allows you, the customer rep, to focus on those unusual requests that AI cannot handle. Um, right. Yeah. But but the question that is often left unsaid by politicians and you know people making these decisions is you know eventually it gets good at not just the five questions but the twenty questions and the hundred mm -hmm. questions and when does it completely replace the customer experience, um, customer service experience? Um, but are, but in what in what situations do you want a human to talk to? Right? Um, I've gone through a divorce and I need to understand. The impact on my finances. Do you really want to talk to machine about that? Um, For sure. Yeah. Get, getting bad news, like yeah. an insurance claim. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's where I think you're going to see the limits of AI when it comes to customer service. There are certain things where it's efficient. You know, I I, I find myself like when I go to Loblaws with my son, I almost always go to self checkout now, just because it's quick, it's easy, it's painless. But I used to interact with the, you know, the the cashiers before, and they see my son and so forth. So you you lose something with that. So, at what point do we recognize that the gains uh, come at a cost? Yeah, and it's interesting because I think back to an experience like on that same trip with my family this past weekend. You know, we programmed Google like we always do, like Google Maps, and then uh, then when we got home, you know, it said "Welcome home," and my wife kind of looked around and she's like. I've never heard that before. And I've heard it a whole bunch of times, but I could kind of see this like little half smile in her eyes. And, you know, it, it was a human moment mm -hmm. delivered by an inhuman mechanism. Yeah. And I, you know, I would just wonder if those types of things might create these false types of comforts. And, and you know, to your earlier point, like if it kind of becomes an okay substitute and we can rationalize it as an okay substitute for human interaction, yeah. or if we're just going to reject that outright because it's not a human interaction. Yeah. Yeah, and I think time will tell. Um, you know, like people, you know, they they come home and their pets, the dog or cat, will come and run to the door. It's not a human interaction, but it's an interaction of immense emotional value to us. Um, mm -hmm. Can that, you know, there was, there was a company that made like an electronic dog, if I believe. And, <laughs> you know, it gave you all the simulated experience, almost, I'm told, of a real dog and came when, you know, arrived when you came home and you can interact with it. It was creepy to me, um, you know, <laughs> but uh, is that something that we can move towards as a species interacting with something that's non-sentient and still getting the emotional nourishment uh, out of that? I, I don't know, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I, you know, a part of that emotional experience from a brand standpoint is being able to convey whatever personality traits embody your brand. So yeah. if you're like a quirky brand or, yeah. you know, if you're a really serious brand or a really thoughtful brand, what's the potential, right? I, I guess kind of if you could speak kind of the current state and maybe the, the future state, how well equipped are AI powered experiences to actually match some of those personality traits and be quirky if it calls for quirky or serious yeah. if it calls for serious? They're, you know, they're limited to be sure. <laughs> Surprisingly insightful at times, but right. when they make errors, they make egregious errors, right? <laughs> right? So like, you know, think about language and what constitutes as whimsical versus formal versus friendly versus colloquial. There's a lot of nuance there that, you know, we don't even understand why a certain string of words will ignite a certain emotion in you, but it does. 
Um, right. And so AI is getting there. Like there's some real uh, incredible things in natural language processing in terms of understanding and, you know, um, being able to quantify that understanding and, and give it to you in some way. I'd say we're two mm -hmm. or three years from true differentiated capability there, but it's coming. That's it. Eh? I think so. Like it is incredible. The exponential improvement, right? There's something called GPT, which is a huge, um, neural network that will generate language for you. You'll give it the first couple, you know, you give it a sentence like Mike and Sheldon are talking and it'll generate like a story after that. And it's amazing how, you know, mm. human like it is. It's still, you, it's still not, it's still not flawless. Like you can still tell that it's a machine, but you know, given the progress we've seen maybe three to five years, there's going to be real natural language uh, capability of ge generational capability, generative capability that will astound us. And so if you think of, a, wow. if you think of it as a brand, you know, imagine an AI consumes all your copy from the past five years, right? Your interactions, your website mission statement, and sure. internalizes that, and then you train it, right? Uh, human beings are involved in the process to validate, yes, this really is quirky, or this really is whimsical, but it, it's going to get there. And I think, uh, you know, the effect of what that means for your brands could be, you know, game-changing. Huge, huge. So let me put you on the spot for this for a sec. Let's say we're creating a playbook for branders on just when and how to explore AI in brand experiences. And, you know, we talked about just a couple of them before, you know, with customer service. Yeah. What would be maybe a few best practices that you would want to give people to consider when they're kind of evaluating, you know, when and how to kind of look at AI? Yeah, great question. So the first is pick an area, number one, where you have a lot of data, right? Data right mm. now is the, the oil of the AI engine. Uh, or the gas of the AI engine, I should say, right? So you need a lot of data to teach AI something. So pick it where you have it and it's readily available and pick an area where you can very easily quantify the success or failure of that project, right? So if you're right. gonna if you're gonna automate, for example, an aspect of your customer service, how do you validate that the AI is doing a good job? Is it through call time? Is it through success rate? Is it through a customer service score? Um, and pick low-hanging fruit, right? Pick an area that's obviously uh, applicable for AI. Other companies have done it. There's a lot of examples on how to do it because once you so show success in that use case in your organization, then it's easier to get you know, organizational buy-in of other areas you should go to. So I would say right. those three things, right? Data, easy way to measure ROI, and like low-hanging fruit. And, and those three things are, are a good place to be in. That's fantastic. And I guess, you know, it, it leads me to another question just around the role of big data. Because, you know, these days there's so many conversations around privacy and accessibility. So along those lines, where do you see some of the trends going around making sure that data is there to be the gas for AI, but also understanding kind of where the trends might be going around just access to data? Yeah, and that, that is the huge um, legislative challenge that countries are grappling with. So, you know, there's there's a bill being proposed in Canada, Bill C-11, which is sort of like GDPR uh, for Canada, right? Which is right to right. transparency, right to your data. And it's a real challenge because you want to give, think of the Canadian government's perspective. They want to give companies in Canada 
the ability to compete globally with other companies that are leveraging artificial intelligence. But at the same sure. time, they want to give citizens, you and me, presumably living in Canada, the rights to our data and the rights mm -hmm. to insist that companies can't leverage it without our knowledge and without some kind of transparency and so forth. So getting that right is really difficult. Uh, Europe is struggling with it. We're seeing legislation in the States. That is one of the key uh, policy questions for the world, frankly, in the next 10 years is balancing mm -hmm. the data required by these systems with a citizen's right to own their own data and own their own private data. And that really is a $64 million question, right? Yeah. Because at what point will people be content giving a little bit up, yeah. presumably if they get something back? Yeah. And then what's, you know, what's the line where it kind of goes too far? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting debate. And I look at things like rewards programs, which was another thing I wanted to kind of get your take yeah. on, because, you know, it feels like the, the really great rewards programs, like I look at like the PC Optimum mm. program, it's a fantastic program. Yeah. And, you know, as a marketer and, you know, as someone who kind of have some understanding, like how this would run, I still love it and I still play into it and I still kind of buy into mm. it. And, you know, when there's extra points days, mm. I'm like, oh, there's extra points yeah. days. So, you know, where do you see, you know, where do you see rewards based marketing going with AI and, and where do you kind of see that happening at the intersection of all those privacy concerns that we talked about? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I connected with somebody uh, in a Darwin context for this very purpose, and they were trying to figure out how do we leverage a points program to surface for you based on our bio, bio data understanding of who you are as a person, what you've purchased, all the, mm. you know, you purchased this medicine, whatever, what, number one, to surface value for you. So to know, for example, that based on your purchases, you might have diabetes and this medication from your pharmacist means that might be a problem and like really trying to provide value there, but then also trying to tailor the rewards experience to you to really appeal to you in a unique way. Right. To know that, right. okay, Sheldon buys, what's something I buy? A lot of diet Pepsi, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so like, Hey, like this is the way we can leverage the, the point system for him. So real personalization is the obvious area that AI will, you know, has the potential to be transformative for rewards based programs. But the question, and this was the original one that we talked about five minutes ago is what about your data? If those, if, mm. if, 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 if tailoring the rewards program requires access to your data, would you be willing to do it? Um, right. And that, that therein lies the, the paradox or the challenge. Well, I feel like that kind of comes back to, to almost the, the foundations of brand building. Mm. Cause a lot of times, like from a consumer perspective, they're, they're sort of looking at it, like, like we kind of joke around like in my shop and, and kind of call this the mini wheat theory, right? Mm. That. You know, you have the top of the mini wheat that's the fun frosting and then the bottom of it, which is supposed to be healthy for you. Right. So you're kind of looking at it from those two perspectives, right? Like, you know, the bottom of the mini wheat, am I giving away too much data? Right. The top of the mini wheat, yeah. am I getting something from yeah. it? Am I enjoying yeah. it? Is, you know, are they understanding me? And is that going to save me time and save me money and save me all those types of things? And at the end of the day from the brand, how do I, how do I sort of show up right at the center of, of both of those things? 
and and getting that balance right will be where the winners in this space emerge right right um and here's the thing there another question to consider in the context of your brand is how does being on the right side of this issue help your brand right right so if you're seen as being the company that is progressive and really making sure that people feel comfortable with ai and really giving them choice in terms of their data, does that become a part of your brand identity, right? It's something for mm -hmm. people to think about. Um, positively positioning this really is could be a way to differentiate in your space. Hey, we, we're, we're gonna use AI to improve our brand experience, but part of that experience will be delivering it to you in a way that's responsible. And here's our mm -hmm. statement of principle around that. You know what? That's an excellent point. And, and you know, I think back to even e even like way back when the rise of e-commerce, there were brands who jumped into it immediately mm. and they knew it was imperfect and they knew that they there were going to be moments of stumbles and they were very transparent about that. And they said, look, this is who we are. We're, we're early adopters. We jump in, we experiment. And then there were other brands. And I think Canadian Tire was one of them that said, you know what? We're going to kind of wait and see what other people do. We're going to learn from their mistakes and then we're going to kind of come back. Yeah. And it sounds like from what you just said, th there's a similar kind of philosophy that might be a play from company to company. And, and whether you're the company that jumps in or the company that kind of waits and sees, it sort of comes back to your brand, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, what do you want? How do you want people to think about you're using AI, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what I tell people sometimes is that for me, artificial intelligence is sort of like the internet in the 1990s, right? It was new. <laughs> people were just wrapping their heads around it. We didn't, we didn't really appreciate it. it was going to completely transform industries and destroy others. Um, and eventually, if you were a serious company, you somehow had to have a digital element to your business. Um, same mm -hmm. thing is going to happen with AI. Like at some point, companies, large companies, are going to have to integrate artificial intelligence into some aspect of their, their enterprise. And so getting ahead of this from a brand perspective is actually really smart because it's a way in the marketplace to, you know, innovate, but also differentiate. Hmm. Very cool. All right. I have two last questions right. for you. AI during a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> How's that gone? Is there any surprises that you, you've seen anything that people embraced it more because they're home more? What's that been like? I mean, the answer is yes, right? Um, think, I mean, me and you right now, as we're talking, are using, you know, a video remote, a video conferencing program that is using AI. When people interact with, uh, you know, apps to order food, they're, they're leveraging artificial right. intelligence. So if anything, um, you know, it increased, I think, it accelerated our comfort with interacting with non-humans, right? Um, <laughs> it was also, of course, used by pharma uh, around, you know, uh, uh, concocting the vaccine and so forth. There are certain industries that uh, aggressively adopted AI. Um, we at Darwin actually, in the early days of the pandemic, created a neural network to diagnose co uh, COVID based on chest X-rays and CT scans. It was one of the first things wow. we did about a year ago when when COVID became serious. Uh, so of course, you never. You never wish that this would have ever happened to humanity, um, sure. but uh, artificial intelligence, uh, if anything, I, I think it probably accelerated its its adoption uh, in a strange way. Hmm. 
Yeah, I could, I could see that for sure. Uh, absolutely. So I guess as, as somewhat of a segue, maybe, maybe a half-ass segue, mm -hmm. but the segue nonetheless, mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about AI and we've talked about human-powered AI. For you, what do you feel is the biggest potential for, like, what's kind of the sweet spot for really humanizing AI? What are you most excited about? So I'll tell you the question that intrigues me the most. Um, and that is artificial consciousness, right? Mm. So, you know, it, it, it's been an amazing experience uh, starting an artificial intelligence company and then having my first child within that time frame, right? I often joke right. that I have two startups. I have an artificial intelligence startup called Darwin AI. I have a biological intelligence startup called Max Fernandez, right? And they're both magical and exhausting in equal measure. And you see them grow as, you know, different entities and so forth. But the fact is we don't understand, Mike, how the neuroscientific mechanisms in your brain right now are working to give you a rich subjective inner experience as a human being. We have no clue. And it's, it's right. one of the ultimate scientific mysteries to this day. Um, and so the question is, will we ever have um, a non-sentient, you know, entity that is conscious in some meaningful way uh, that me and you are right now. And that's not that it's responding mm -hmm. to some command and performing complex mathematics to tell you this is a picture of a horse or, you know, figuring out that this string of words is whimsical because it has some mathematical interpretation of those words, but it is, right. it has its intentionality and awareness of itself in the universe, right? That to me is the fascinating question. Um, you know, and I often, you know, when I, when I talk about this, I say, I don't know if we'll get the answer in my lifetime, but given the way AI is progressing, we might have the answer in my son's lifetime. And that to me mm -hmm. is just the, the incredible, uh, you know, uh, end of the yellow brick road, as it were, when it comes to artificial intelligence. You know, I think that's so fascinating. And, and, you know, I even think about something like movies, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you look at movies from 30, 40 years ago, horror movies, comedies, yeah. and, you know, horror is an interesting genre to look at because at that point, a movie that was like super scary back in the seventies and the sixties, now we kind of scoff at. So when I think of, you know, you're talking about like, just, just the consciousness, even just how we're going to evolve from our level of emotional intelligence and just how we receive messages and how we take in mm. those messages. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, and since you mentioned movies, I'll mention one last thing. Um, so <laughs> one of the talks I give is something called computational creativity, which is the ability of machines to imagine, right? And I heard a neuroscientist talk about a situation where he was talking about a scene in Les Miserables. Um, hmm. where the, the protagonist, Jean Valjean, uh, you know, is a broken man and steals, uh, you know, steals from a priest and leaves and he's caught and the police bring him back to the priest and say, Hey, we found this guy who's been stealing your stuff. Here it is. We're going to go lock him up for another 20 years. And the priest looks at this man, looks at the cops and then steal for me. I gave these things to him. And Jean Valjean, you actually forgot the candle holders or something. And the commentator was saying, the reason that scene is so poignant is 
we're seeing the concept of redemption exemplified in that scene that that another person sees a broken person but sees something of value in them and is taking a chance that they can be redeemed and that's where the narrative arc of his redemption begins but the commentator was also saying to, to write a scene like that, to concoct that as being powerful, do you not have to understand what human redemption is? And mm. can an artificial intelligence ever understand that in a meaningful way? So that is another question. And maybe a conscious artificial intelligence might be able to, but uh, I just thought it was a fascinating intersection of imagination and consciousness. Absolutely. And it would be amazing to revisit that 10, 20 years in the future yeah. and, and see what that looks like. Yeah. Sheldon, this is awesome. Thank you so much for, for geeking out yeah. at a 436 <laughs> on, <laughs> on a Wednesday. This is great. I really appreciate it. Thank you, for, well, thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Sheldon Fernandez, CEO of Darwin AI. Thank you for tuning in to The Naked Brand. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to check in as we'll be having a lot more Really fascinating conversations of branding in all sorts of different contexts. Food, play, all sorts of stuff. So keep checking back in and thank you very much.